You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Uh, hi. <gasps> I'm sorry. <gasps> You're talking. Yes, I know, I know. I'm so You're so talking. I know, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. It's fine. It's just, I know I'm dreamy, but I don't recall going to bed. Well, you know, I'm sure this is very disconcerting. Yeah, and... I mean, this is a bit of a surprise to me. I mean, you're a bee. Yeah, yeah. I am a bee, and, uh, you know, I'm not supposed to be doing this, but oh. they were all trying to kill me, uh -huh. and if it wasn't for you, oh. I mean, I, I had to thank you. It's just, it's the way I was raised. Oh. Oh! Oh, that was a little weird. I'm talking to a bee. Yeah. Talking to a bee. Anyway. And the bee is talking to me. Um, I just want you to know that I'm grateful and um, I'm gonna leave now. Oh, wait, 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 wait. How did you learn to do that? What? That, 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 the talking thing. Oh, same way you did, I guess. Mama, Dada, honey, you pick it up. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah, bees are funny. Huh. If we didn't laugh, we'd cry with what we have to deal with. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, wherein we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name's Paul, and I am not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I am not an animal expert either, and today we are talking about the European honeybee. Yes. Bzzz. This is going to be an interesting show. A buzz buzz. <laughs> but first, the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. We have two news stories brought to us by April in the Varmin's Discussion Group on Facebook. So thanks, April. Thanks, April. And the first one is this. Bees are in trouble because of pollutants caused by us, right? Mm-hmm. Not a big secret. Nope. You know what isn't in trouble? What? McDonald's restaurants. No, that's true. They're doing pretty good. So there are more than 36,000 McDonald's restaurants around the world. They serve 69 million people every day. And now there are some McDonald's restaurants in Sweden that are doing their bit to help our little important honeybee friends. Aww. They are hosting beehives on the roofs of their restaurants. Aww. Yeah. Some of them are also planting flowers outside, too, and that provides a bee-friendly environment that has helped to boost the bee population there in, in Sweden. Aww, that's awesome. You know what is even more awesome? The McDonald's Corporation wanted to pay tribute to these efforts, so they hired a professional carpenter to make the smallest ever McDonald's, which is a a fully functioning beehive with a little McDonald's sign, a drive through and an outside seating area, and even little posters and advertisements on the windows. That's so cute. It really is. And it look is at a... the inside. It's an actual honey beehive. They've got little, little, what are those things called? The little mesh thingies that the, the little frames, the little frames on the inside. Yeah. 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 It's Aww. a fully functioning beehive. That's so cute. It's really cool. Now, you'll get to see the picture of the, the beehive, the little McDonald's beehive in our show notes. But one of the best parts of this article was the comment section. Uh-huh. So I picked out a few of the comments. Excellent. One person said, the ice cream machine will definitely be broken. 
<laughs> Another reader asked, do they have a fly through? <laughs> uh, they do. Look at the little bee flying through the fly through. <laughs> And then another reader made this observation. Isn't it technically the largest if it has the most seating capacity of any other McDonald's? <laughs> I like, I heard the interior is all bespoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, delightful little article. We'll link to it in the show notes. I love it. Yeah, that's really cute. Just a reminder, everybody, to go to BlazingCaribouStudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at, at varmintspodcast, all one word, and at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. I run a Pinterest board for every episode, and usually the pictures are over there. The show notes have a link to that at the bottom of the page. And if you want some Varmints merchandise, go to tpublic.com, put Varmints in the search engine, and you will find all sorts of fun stuff with our logo on it and all. Yay! Yeah! Yes. If you like the show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast? Where everywhere podcasts are found and word of mouth is the very best way to help us grow. Hey, we want to take a minute to thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you guys so much for kicking in a little bit of money every month. We do very, very much appreciate it. And there's all sorts of rewards, no matter how much money you pledge. You'll always get this podcast for free. But those of you who give us a little money to pay for hosting and, and merch and stuff like that, thank you very much. Patreon.com slash varmints. You can go check us out there. And now let's learn about honeybees. Oh, you stomped on my leg. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go get educated on some animals. I know you wanna. <laughs> kills me. Every uh, time. I know you wanna. I know you wanna. <laughs> Today we are talking about honeybees. Honeybees are flying insects in the family Apidae. There are nearly 6,000 species in this family, and they have first appeared in the fossil record about 34 million years ago. There are only seven species in the genus Apis. One of these species is very well known, it's the one that we're going to be concentrating on today, and it's the European or Western honeybee, which is the most common domesticated species. The honeybee was the third insect to have its genome mapped, and it can be found on every continent except Antarctica, thanks to good old humans, and Donna is going to talk about that a little later on. In general, honeybees are about a half an inch long or about 15 millimeters long. They all have varying dark to light striations along their six visible segments of abdomen. The genus name Apis is Latin for bee. Modern dictionaries accept honeybee as all one word or two separate words. However, if you talk to an entomologist, they will tell you that honey and bee are two separate words. Male honeybees are called drones. Females that cannot reproduce are workers, and females that can reproduce are queens. A group of honeybees is called a swarm, and the development process for baby bees is egg, larva, pupa, and then adult. Well, did you know that bees can do math? What? Honeybees can That's do math. Crazy. They can. It is called the waggle dance. <laughs> 
Waggle dances are crazy. They're really cute. Honeybees communicate to their nestmates uh, the locations of their resources, including food, water, tree resin, and nest sites, by making waggle dances. <laughs> My dog just went, <laughs> Waggle dances are composed of repeated waggle runs, which encode the distance and direction vector of the hive or swarm to the resource. The distance is encoded in the duration of the waggle run, and the direction is encoded in the angle of the dancer's body relative to the vertical. Right? So... It can be regarded as regarded as a repetition of movements consisting of a waggle run and a return run. During the waggle run, the dancer swings her body from side to side in a pendulum-like manner, 13 to 15 times per second, and she produces dance sounds by vibrating her wings. And the bee moves her body continuously forward, but her legs do not move at all or perform only a few slow-motion strides. It's all the wings that's causing this. And in the return run, the dancer circles back to start a new sequence. Some parameters of the waggle run are correlated with the location for the feeding site that they're, that they're trying to advertise. Um, the angle between the sun's azimuth and the direction to the food in the field equals the angle between gravity and waggle run. So this is like math. This is like genuine math that they're figuring out here. Wow. <laughs> and that's called the waggle run angle. The distance to the food source is indicated in the duration of the waggle run, and the longer the duration of the waggle run, the further away the feeding site is. Dancers can uh, mostly follow uh, accompanying the dancing bee. So uh, the interaction between the dancers and the dance followers can be broken up into steps. First, they're motivated to follow a dancer, detect, and they localize and approach, approach the dancer. Second, they accompany her for many circuits inside the little place where they're dancing, and they learn the dance. And then third, <laughs> after they learn the dance, they fly out and they find the indicated food source. So the bee goes, ready everybody, and a one, and a two, and a... A little to the left, a little to the right, a little bit forward, a little to the right, a little bit forward, a little to the right. Everybody, one, two, three, four, a little bit forward, a little to the right, a little bit. That's what they do. And then the other ones learn it, and they're like, oh, I've got, I've got like seven feet. Uh, uh, uh. That's how they say it if they have... That's how they say it to each other if they don't dance very well, they have seven feet. <laughs> <laughs> don't they only have six feet so they uh but anyway yeah that's how they learn it and then they find the they find the food and the water and resources <laughs> and all that stuff that way honey bees can do math oh that's awesome isn't that cool that is the best thing ever wow all right i am going to talk about bee stings Ooh. and bee venom bee venom is mostly water 88 percent water to be exact because of this water solubility, bees sting in moist tissue in order for the venom to disperse effectively. That's why the venom works so well on humans, because we are roughly 75% water. Bee venom is odorless, and it has a pH of 4.5 to 5.5, which can make it slightly acidic. The main allergen in bee venom that causes the most swelling and the most pain is called melitin. Now, melitin causes red blood cells at the sting site to burst, and the blood vessels to expand. And this blood vessel expansion is why some people have a dangerous drop in blood pressure after bee stings. Another protein destroys cell membranes at the sting site and that causes pain and inflammation. 
Histamine causes your tiny little capillaries to leak fluid, and this is why bee stings cause big itchy red spots. And histamine also contributes to some of the pain of the sting. When a bee stings, an alarm pheromone is released. When worker bees detect this alarm pheromone blend, they start flying faster and buzzing more. Mm -hmm. The alarm pheromones of honeybees contain about 20 compounds. Of these, isopentyl acetate is the key compound. It has the exact same chemical composition as banana oil. That's why when bees start stinging another animal, there's always like a little banana smell in the air. Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I've never been stung, so. You haven't? Mm-mm. Wow, I have a few times. Really? It's not fun. Yeah, it's pretty painful. Yeah, I imagine. Nope, I just never, never have. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy for you. We are all allergic to bee stings, every one of us. Mm-hmm. 95% of us can handle the toxins in bee venom just fine. The other 5% may have a violent allergic reaction called anaphylaxis, and that can be really, really dangerous and deadly. Yep. A lot of stings all at once can also be very deadly. Most adults without known allergies can tolerate about 10 stings per pound of body weight. After an extreme stinging event, the organs that are most affected are the kidneys, and they can shut down and you will be dead. 10 stings per pound of body weight is a lot of stings. Like, that would be a horrible way to go. Yep. But not as horrible as a honeybee. When a honeybee stings you, it dies a very, very gruesome death. The bee stinger is barbed. It will go into your skin very, very easily, but it will not come out so easily. So once it punctures human skin, the bee cannot yank it out without self-amputating. So as the honeybee tries to pull the stinger out, it ruptures its lower abdomen, leaving the stinger embedded, pulling out instead a string of digestive material, muscles, glands, and the venom sac. Wow. Oh, that's painful. It's bad. What results is a gaping hole at the end of the abdomen of the poor little honeybee. Because the venom sac is still attached, the stinger will continue to pump venom into you after the rest of the honeybee has flown away. Worker bees would rather not sting you. They have work to do, and unless you are waving at them or disturbing them or disturbing the hive, they're going to leave you alone. So don't wave at them. Just let them be. I know it's really hard to do that, but they just want to work. Whether or not you are at risk for anaphylaxis, the first priority is removing the stinger. Yep. Taking the stinger out within the first eight seconds can decrease swelling by almost half. Ice can help narrow the blood vessels at the sting site, and that'll reduce swelling. Topical ointments like calamine lotion will help the skin feel cooler. And antihistamines like Benadryl will keep histamine receptors turned off. If you get stung by a bee, do not use aspirin. There is a tiny little bit of internal bleeding after a sting, and aspirin can just make that worse. Yeah, but you can also, if you just have a a mild reaction to bee stings, just carry around some Benadryl and that'll take care of it. Yeah. It's disclaimer time. The Varmint podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then again, we only have the yardstick of ourselves to go by, so we're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. Hi, Frosty. <laughs> Frosty's great. Exactly. Uh, one On a scale of one to ten, honeybees. I wonder if they're like ants where they're dumb by themselves but smart when they're a bunch of them together. Yeah, I wonder. 
Yeah, is that I would emergent say, intelligence? Is that what that's called? Well, all intelligence is an emergent property, as we talked about extensively a few shows ago. Okay. <laughs> Maybe too extensively, but yes, all all intelligence is an emergent property. In humans, it's an emergent property because we have all of our neurons all giving us information and coming together to create consciousness and stuff. Um, and in an animal like a bee, we think that it's probably like each bee you can think of as a neuron. <laughs> it's okay. bringing, bringing a piece of information to the rest of the hive. So the whole hive could be thought of as like an individual brain. Like maybe it's a collective personality. We've had the idea of a, of a hive mind for for years and years and years. That's not a new concept, but it might be more true than we think. So, yeah, it could be that they are individually kind of moronic, but, uh, <laughs> but but I don't know. I mean, you're talking about an animal where when they do their waggle dance, they are recording what they've observed individually. So that might negate, maybe they aren't quite as moronic as ants when they're by themselves. <laughs> hmm. Because the waggle dance is just one bee that's reporting the location of all the stuff to the other to the rest of the hive so maybe they're just freaking smarty bee pants smarty pollen <laughs> pants i don't know i'm saying seven minimum it all right be closer to eight if we're just accounting for the ability to do math and to communicate mathematical concepts i think that's kind of that's kind of badass, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, no, I'll go along with that. <laughs> That's awesome. Smarty ball and pants. <laughs> I love honey bees. They're so cute. I like They're... all the other bees too, but we're going to talk about those on a different show. Yes. Yes. But for now, uh, we are going to talk about honey bees in pop culture and a couple other of other things. Sounds good. Yeah, but we're going to do that right after this. I wish I could tell you everything is okay. I wish I could comfort you and tell you there is nothing to fear. But I can't. And if you are really being honest, that's not what you want. You want to be scared. You like being scared. So, join me, your elusive host. And I will tell you why you're haunted by so many monsters. Scary Stories is a bi-weekly podcast about the psychology of fear and the stories we use to explain it. So, take a seat and let me tell you about this thing that happened to a friend of a friend of a friend. Find it everywhere you listen to podcasts. This here's Animal Rancher and Expert at Large, Cotton Shorts. You know Paul and Don are just a couple of nerds like you, and they don't usually get to see animals in the wild, but so we'll talk about where they usually do get to see them, which is to say on popular culture, books, movies, television, and video games. So for my pop culture pick this week, I am going to be talking about the B-Movie. I have not seen the B-movie. Yeah, it is not good. No? <laughs> I, don't, I didn't like but it. But it's Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, it's... Uh, you heard the... <laughs> we, 
we played you the clip at the beginning of the show, a portion of the B-movie. It is a 2007 American computer animated comedy film produced by DreamWorks Animation and distributed by Paramount Pictures. The film stars Jerry Seinfeld and Renee Zellweger with supporting roles by Matthew Broderick, Patrick Warburton, John Goodman, and Chris Rock. Mm -hmm. So the story is that fresh out of college, Barry the Bee, played by Jerry Seinfeld, finds the prospect of working with Honey uninspiring. So he flies outside the hive for the first time and talks to a human who is played by Renee Zellweger. That's the clip you heard in the beginning. And he's breaking a cardinal rule of his species. Ah. Barry learns that humans have been stealing and eating honey for centuries. And he realizes that his true calling is to obtain justice for his kind by suing humanity for theft. Hmm. Oh boy. Yeah. This sound already sounds like a really not a good idea. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh. The film has a 50% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, Uh-oh. which I agree with. It's kind of not great. Did it have funny moments? Eh, it had funny moments, but it's not, it's just, I mean, it's not good. Now, here's the best thing about this movie. In November 2016, a YouTube user called Avoid at All Costs uploaded a video where the entire film sped up every time the word B was used. The, you can watch the entire movie in about eight minutes. Right. Because it speeds up a little bit every time they say the word B. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld himself said that he has no interest to make a sequel to the B movie in the wake of its sudden kind of late online popularity. In June 2016, a fan asked if a B-movie 2 would happen, and Seinfeld had this to say, I considered it this spring for a solid six hours. <laughs> He's so specific. Yeah. <laughs> There's a fantastic energy now for some reason, on the internet particularly. Tumblr, people brought my attention to it. I actually did consider it, but then I realized it would make B-movie 1 less iconic. But my kids want me to do it. A lot of people want me to do it. A lot of people that don't know what animation is want me to do it. If you have any idea what animation is, you'd never do it. Right. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, the B-movie. We'll put a link to the uh, the eight-minute-long sped-up B-movie thing, because if you haven't seen that, if you'd never watched the B-movie, you can watch this and you'll be fine. It's right. really funny. That's funny. Well, it's, then I'll watch that. It speeds up to the point where you cannot understand like it's not just fast it's like so fast that it's just blips and blops but it's very very funny yeah well i never saw i never saw it i don't know why just never never occurred to me to go see it which i don't, I don't, I don't know why yeah. i don't remember what was going on but i didn't so i'll watch the eight minute long sped up version there you go well i'm gonna talk today about uh, okay, so this is going to be sort of a one of those things that, that's a very lateral thinking kind of thing. I was reading about Africanized honeybees, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to get to the pop culture thing, and I guarantee you I'll, I'll establish all the links of how we got there. Okay. <laughs> all right. Buckle up. All right, buckle up. So everybody knows about uh, the supposed killer bees, Africanized bees that are dangerous, and... and uh, so there's an article on the BBC called the, in their column, The Truth About Animals, Are They Really That Dangerous? from 2015. So they have a reputation of being that killer bees are huge and equipped with lethal venom. But the reality is that they're 
smaller than regular honeybees, and their venom is also less powerful. But the problem is that they're aggressive, okay? Mm -hmm. But everybody, if you talk to them about killer bees, they think of it like science fiction. Um, but, they're, but they actually carry less venom. So this is how the Africanized honeybee came about. In 1956, a Brazilian scientist called Warwick Kerr imported African honeybees to South America with the intention of breeding a more productive strain of bee. Some of them escaped and bred with European honeybees in the wild, giving rise to a hybrid species. These Africanized bees began to spread, and by 1985, they made it as far as Mexico. In 2014, researchers studying the spread of these hybrids across California found that they had reached San Francisco. Early on in this whole process, the Africanized honeybees acquired the nickname Killer Bees, <laughs> inspiring plenty of fear and um, a whole bunch of second-rate bee-related movies. <laughs> <laughs> And in the 70s, it was a really big thing where you, I remember as a kid, everybody, other children talking to me about the killer bees, you know? <laughs> the, oh, the killer bees are coming. They're going to come and get you. Were there bee movies that were bee movies? They were, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were bee, bee movies, absolutely. <laughs> the truth about them is not quite that so uh, for a start there are smaller as we said they carry less venom they're not as potent so B for B they're a lesser threat but the problem is that when they're defending their hive they can they can get roused a lot quicker to defend their colony and they do they do so in in greater numbers with more stinging so and this finding has been replicated in several studies this is true they have a much more aggressive response than regular honeybees and they have caused the death of several hundred people over the last 50 years and uh so that's sad but also they're not out to get you they're not killer bees africanized bees are not like running around in massive swarms of bees <laughs> just trying to wipe out entire towns or whatever it's it's very simple it's basically just that they are a little bit quicker to defend their hive as honeybees but you know, as you were talking about earlier, if you don't mess with the bees, they probably won't mess with you. So right. you you just got to, I mean, the people who handle bees put on those suits and everything for their protection, but they're in there moving the frames around. And then there's people that go and move whole colonies of bees and stuff out of houses and cars and all sorts of stuff to put them into a safer place. And... They go in there without hesitation. They wear protective stuff, but they don't. They wouldn't go anywhere near if it was a situation where there was going to be a lot of danger, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so basically, um, the people that have been killed by these bees have probably either inadvertently or even on purpose, because you know humans are kind of dumb sometimes, uh, had made the bees aggressive toward them, and that that's just. That's just a problem. All right, so the point is, in the 70s, everybody was like, ah, the killer bees. I remember that from when I was a kid, the, the big, uh, you know, it was scary. The bee scare. Killer bees, yeah. sure. Yeah, there was a lot of pop culture that resulted from this, one of which was that the comedy show Saturday Night Live, which was a new thing in the 70s, produced a number of very bad skits about killer bees. <laughs> <laughs> but the best of them culminated in a musical piece by the Blues Brothers, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, called The King Bee. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that's a very roundabout way to get to the pop culture item, 
But that's basically how it happened, was that there was this big... For a while on Saturday Night Live, they always had the bees, the killer bees, uh, poking in for this sketch and that sketch. And they were all really <laughs> bad sketches. Oh, yeah. They would get... John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd would put on these bee costumes <laughs> and get up with the Blues Brothers band and sing this song, which we're going to have a little clip of for you now. Well, I'm a king, I want you to be my queen. Bam. Bam. I'm a king, baby. I'm a king, baby. Other oh, big, ridiculous costumes. Well, I know. Together we can make honey, baby. The world has never seen. Okay, let's buzz a while. Do, do, do. A buzz, a buzz, buzz. Buzz, buzz. Buzz, buzz. Buzz, buzz. Well, stay my bed. Yeah, and they it wasn't like they had the big ridiculous bee costumes, but then they would also just have the sunglasses and the hat, like the regular yes. Blues Brothers. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so oh, silly. That's funny. Anyway, so I'm sorry about that. That was a sort of a, it was a long road <laughs> to get there, but you learned that's something fine. new, right? And then uh, got to enjoy a little buzz, buzz, a buzz, buzz. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, hey, are you going to eat that? So, I mean, it's safe to say that neither one of us are going to actually eat a honeybee. Mm-hmm. But honey is pretty awesome. Yeah, honey's great, and I use it all the time. In your tea? Uh, I do in my tea, sometimes. Yeah. The problem is that honey has a very distinct flavor, so in a way that just sugar or whatever doesn't, so... Yeah. I have to want the specific honey taste, but yes, I will. I will use it in my tea sometimes. Yeah. Mostly I use it in plain yogurt with a few nuts and some raisins. Oh, that's the best. Yeah, Greek yogurt with honey in it. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's the best. Yep. I just don't eat any of the flavored yogurts because they always have to weigh too much sugar in them. What I do is I just get the plain yogurt and then I add fruit and things to it and, and just a little bit of honey and it's perfect. That's wonderful. Yeah. Also... Probably about half of your produce section would be gone if it weren't for bees pollinating. They are pollinators. They have pollen pants. They have pollen pants, and I think that if they did not do that pollinating, we would just not. We wouldn't have almonds. Like almonds are a hundred percent reliant on pollination on from from honeybees. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yep. Wow. Here now are some of the foods that we would lose if all our bees died. Ready? Apples, mangoes, rambutan, kiwi fruit, plums, peaches, nectarines, guava, rose hips, pomegranates, pears, black and red currants, alfalfa, okra, strawberries, onions, cashews, cactus, prickly pear, apricots, allspice, avocados, passion fruit, lima beans, kidney beans, adzuki beans, green beans, orchid plants, custard apples, cherries, celery, coffee, walnut, cotton. <gasps> Lychee, flax, acerola, macadamia nuts, sunflower oil, goa beans, lemons, buckwheat, figs, fennel, limes, quince, carrots, persimmons, palm oil, loquat, durian, cucumber, hazelnut, cantaloupe, tangelos, coriander, caraway, chestnut, watermelon, star apples, coconut, tangerines, boysenberries, starfruit, brazil nuts, beets, mustard seed, rapeseed, 
broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, bok choy, turnips, congo beans, soybeans, chili peppers, red peppers, bell peppers, green peppers, papaya, safflower, sesame, eggplant, raspberries, elderberries, blackberries, clover, tamarind, cocoa, black eyed peas, vanilla, cranberries, tomatoes, and grapes. Yep. Yep, we need them, and they're amazing, and they're so smarty, Paul and Pants. <laughs> we should make sure that people stop putting chemicals in things. Neocotinoids is what they're in, so make sure that if you buy things from garden centers, that you buy plants in soil that doesn't have neocotinoids in them. Yes, definitely. they won't be dangerous to bees. And you can talk to your local garden center about building a bee-friendly environment in your backyard. Yeah, they'll Which help I'm you. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna build a, probably not for honeybees, but for for native bee species in Colorado. And uh, yeah, you yeah. can learn all sorts of stuff about how not to endanger all sorts of bees just from your local garden center, so go ask them. Is your brain a repository of useless information? Well, let's help everyone win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the Animal Fact of the Week. Well, maybe you, the listener, want to know how to be a beekeeper. Ooh. If I had a bigger yard, I would think about it. Well, no? I'll tell you how, yeah. So first of all, if you've never been stung by a bee before, like Donna, go to an allergy specialist and make sure that you are not at risk for anaphylactic shock, because that can be dangerous. If you are okay, then you can find a local beekeeping association, and that can be a really, really valuable resource for local information, group orders of bees and equipment, and for borrowing equipment like an extractor. You can see if there's one in your area at beeculture.com. Sweet. Check your local city codes. There might be a limit on the number of hives allowed or a minimum amount of space allowed between your hive and the property line. I check the codes for the city that I live in and the city Donna lives in. It's way easier to keep bees where you live, Donna. Yeah? Yeah, the regulations are very, very reasonable. I mean, are they good for the bees, though? You have regulations because it's better for the bees, yeah. Uh, there's a lot more ordinances where I live. It's much stricter. You, mm -hmm. I, you, it's really hard to keep bees here. I could not keep bees on my property, whereas you probably could. Hmm. If you can't, you can often find friends or farmers in outlying areas that will allow you to keep a beehive on their property. Just ask around, go to a farmer's market, and if there's somebody selling honey there, you can ask them. Oh, cool. The state that you live in might also help you. So our lovely Varminian April submitted this news story that says that Virginia has started an initiative that would give free beehives and the necessary equipment to applicants over the age of 18. Oh, that's awesome. I think that's a really neat idea. It really is, yeah. I think they've they've just gotten their full, forget if it's 1,800 or 2,000 applications for free, wow. free beehives. Cool. Yeah. Uh, in Minnesota, lawmakers have just approved a new program that will compensate homeowners for planting pollinator-friendly greenery on their properties. If you do any kind of landscaping that's going to help bees out, they'll pay for it. Oh, that is cool. Isn't that cool? It is. The best time to start a beehive is in the spring. Beehives do need space, so for yourself, just make sure that they have 15 feet or so of space around them. Okay. So you're going to need some gear, and here's the short list. Okay. You're going to need a bee suit, complete with bee hood suit. and gloves. Check. Yep, you may look funny, but believe me, you're going to be glad when those bees are buzzing all around you and you don't get stung. Yeah. You are going to need beehives. 
And so this consists of boxes, supers, bottom boards, covers, and frames with patterned wax foundations. Okay. And a, a standard beehive is going to cost you about a hundred bucks. But if you live in a place where they're offering a program, yeah, then it'll be free. Then you don't have to do that. That's right. Sweet. You're going to need a smoker, and what smoke does to the bees is it doesn't asphyxiate them because they don't have lungs. It just sort of sedates them. It's very nice. Right. And you're going to need a hive tool, which is just sort of a mini pry bar that is used specifically for beekeeping. You're going to need to buy your bees. You can go out and catch a swarm if you want to, but if you're just beginning, you could order what is called a NUC, N-U-C, and all it is is a queen with a bunch of worker bees. You just stick it into the hive and you're a beekeeper. Well, there you go. Yeah. Nice. Keep your bees healthy. You might have to fortify their nectar diet with some simple sugar water. You might need to treat your bees for mites or other parasites or diseases. And your bees are gonna need a source of fresh water. Bees do drink. So if you have a little cheap bird bath filled with water, that's a great way to keep your little bees hydrated. Check on your bees periodically to make sure that they're doing okay. And this is important. Bees make honey. You have to harvest that honey. That's right. You don't have to have a lot of hives. One hive can produce anywhere from 20 to 60 pounds of honey. That is crazy. Isn't it? So there's going to be plenty for you to give to friends or, or to sell or to keep for yourself. If you don't harvest your honey, your bee colony is going to outgrow your hive, and the queen and about two-thirds of the bees are going to swarm and find a new home. So yeah, you don't want that. You, you don't want harvest. that. You yeah. got to. Okay, so what if you have bees and you don't want to be a beekeeper? If you, oh. Yeah. If you, you call a, somebody to take them out and put them somewhere else. Yes. Have right. pest control come out. Verify that they're actually honeybees and not hornets. If they are honeybees, call a local beekeeper. And they will be more than happy to remove your bees probably for free because you're giving them free bees. Yep. A beekeeper can earn an average salary of about 24000 a year, which is not bad. Wow. And you're only doing between 5 to 30 minutes per hive per week of work. It's a pretty decent little side hustle, but by far the most important thing you're doing is you're making more honeybees, and the world needs yeah. more honeybees really, really That's bad. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I want to be a beekeeper. I, I have a store near me that sells beekeeping supplies. Can you do it, you think? Well, my house and my yard are not zoned for agricultural. Oh, dear. So I have well. to find someone with a farm if I want to be a beekeeper. I can't okay. just go out in my backyard and do it. Or I, Otherwise, I would consider it. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. Yep. I, maybe one day when we move to a place that's actually got a yard, a decent-sized yard in the back, I'll look into it and see if we can do some beekeeping. Yeah. That would be really fun. Definitely. That would be really neat. <laughs> Today we were talking about the European honeybee, which is Apis mellifera which arrived in the Americas aboard European ships in around 1622. Now, this is interesting because people thought for a long time that America didn't have any honeybees before this, but we were incorrect. There's been found recently a single fossil discovery of a native North American honeybee in the Stewart Valley Basin in West Central Nevada. 
The 14 million year old fossil was a female worker of the extinct honeybee Apis nearctica that lived in North America during the middle Miocene epoch and was found in a paper shale deposit along with other insects of the period. The fossil record proved that honeybees lived in North America, but for how long and when did they go extinct? These questions are not clear yet. They're not answered yet. People don't know. So there's a neat picture of the fossil itself, which I think you'll be really happy. You'll be fascinated to look at. It's pretty neat. So honeybees along, belong to the family Apidae, which includes bumblebees, carpenter bees, longhorn bees, and many other species. And the genus Apis has been around for 60 million years and today contains seven recognized species of honeybees, right? Mm -hmm. So all the species of honeybees are native to South and Southeast Asia, with the exception of the Western or European honeybee, which is now commonly found around the globe, as you mentioned. Apis mellifera is the domesticated honeybee known to beekeepers around the world and contains 24 distinct geographic races or subspecies that are akin to different like breeds, like dogs. Okay. Pretty cool. Honey production is not actually unique to honeybees. The Mayan bee god Amuzan Kab was revered for his gift of honey. So if the North American honeybee went extinct and the European honeybee didn't arrive until 1622, where were the Mayans getting honey? <laughs> <laughs> They were getting it from a social bee called Melipona bee that are commonly called stingless bees. They have over 500 species and this genus of bees is very diverse and they live only within the equatorial regions around the earth. They vary from smaller than fruit flies to those bigger than the honeybee. So colony sizes also vary and uh, they pollinate things like vanilla orchids and stuff. The Melipona bichii was the Mayans' favorite species that they called Kolel Kab, which means royal lady. And the native bees of the Yucatan Peninsula produce only about two liters of honey per hive or about half a gallon compared to the nearly five gallons of honey produced by a typical honeybee hive. So hmm. traditionally, Mayan families kept a hive in a hollow log near their homes to produce honey for their own use. Hmm. Pretty cool, huh? Very cool. Yes. The introduction of the Africanized honeybee, the tradition of stingless beekeeping is has gone down. So, but hopefully they can bring it back. The honeybee is the only honey-producing bee that is adapted to living outside of the tropics, which is why it's so that's why it's so popular and why it's spread around everywhere. But its arrival back to North America was kind of a homecoming, returning to the homeland of their ancestors. <laughs> Similar to the thing that happened with horses where we had horses they went extinct and then colonizers came and brought them back so pretty interesting that's awesome yes very cool bees are so cool i'm so glad we have so many shows to do about different bees because they're really neat yeah that's terrific <laughs> oh there's a picture on this article of the little melipona bee and she's so cute Ah. <laughs> I think it bears repeating. I might have mentioned it earlier, but if you're outside walking around and there's a honeybee around you and it's buzzing around you, I know it can be hard. Yeah. Don't wave your arms around. Don't scream and yell. Don't holler. Just let the bee be. Let the bee be. Let the bee be a bee and just go on about your way and you're going to be okay. The bee's going to be okay. We need all the honeybees we can get. Don't, don't wave around and make the little guy kill himself stinging you. That's pretty true for... A lot of flying insects, yeah. actually. 
I know how hard it is. Usually I just, if there's a flying insect in it and it won't stop flying around, I usually just give up and leave. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I can't, I can't sit still and I can't, this guy's obviously got some sort of business here, so I think I'm just going <laughs> to pack my stuff and go elsewhere. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Our podcast has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo, bed music by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by Imran Javed. Our vocal talent is Carrie McGinnis, Chris Brayton, Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Jennifer Chomos, Stacy and Frosty, and Justine and Santiago. And now it's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat eight years of age or younger who wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for details. We make it super easy for your Rugrat to hear their voice on the podcast. And today we have Anna. Anna has something to say about honeybees. Excellent. They have stingers to sting us. If they sting us, if they sting us one time, then they die. Other other bees, other bees like um, honeybees get um, honey from flowers. They they bring it, they bring it to their hive, and then they make some honey. And people get the honey from the bees inside. Inside of their hives, they wear the the people wear the the special clothes so they don't get sting by the bees. Knock knock. Who's there? Honey. Honey who? Honey bee at your door. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, a silly joke. (laughs) We always like a silly joke. Oh yeah, silly jokes. That's what we do. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Anna. Whose Rugrat is Anna? Anna's dad submitted that for us, and his name is James. So thank you, James, and thank you, Anna. Thank you, James. Thanks, James and Anna. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, again for listening. And until next time... Be nice to animals. Be (laughs) nice to animals. Be nice to animals. A buzz buzz. A buzz buzz. A buzz buzz. A buzz buzz. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou <laughs> Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Studios. That's a podcast, honey. Yeah, it is. It's a podcast. Ha ha ha.